Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 4, The Appearance of Sri Narada, Text 9. Abhimanyu Sutam Sutta Rahur Bhagavatatmam Dasya Janma Mahascharyam Karmani Chagrini Na Abhimanyu Sutam Sutta Prahur Bhagavata Totma Amam Tasya Janma Mahascharyam Karmani Chagrini Na Abhimanyu Sutam Sutta Bahur Bhagavato Tatmam Dasya Janma Mahascharyam Karmani Chagrini Nam Abhimanyu Sutam The son of Abhimanyu Sutta O Sutta, Prahu, is said to be Bhagavata Utatmam, first class devotee of the Lord. Dasya, his, Janma, birth, Maha Ascharyam, very wonderful, Garbani, Activities, cha, and, rini, please speak to, na, us. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace H.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. It is said that Maharaj Parikshit is a first class devotee of the Lord and that his birth and activities are all wonderful. Please tell us about him. Purport. The birth of Maharaj Parikshit is wonderful because in the womb of his mother, he was protected by the personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna. His activities are also wonderful because he chastised Kali, who was attempting to kill a cow. To kill cows means to end human civilization. He wanted to protect the cow from being killed by the great representative of sin, His death is also wonderful because he got previous notice of his death, which is wonderful for any mortal being. And thus he prepared himself for passing away by sitting down on the bank of the Ganga and hearing the transcendental activities of the Lord. During all the days he heard Bhagavatam, he did not take food or drink, nor did he sleep a moment. So everything about him is wonderful, and his activities are worth hearing attentively. 
Desire is expressed herein to hear about him in detail. Omagyana timrandasya janajana shalakaya chakshulan mutim jena tasmai shri guruve namaha. I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Mano Vistam Sapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam. When will Sri La Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his feet? Bancha Kalpata Rubyasha Kripasanu Bayevacha Patitanam Pavanebio Vaishnavebio Namonamaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Dvaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktavinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Shivas Thakur and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today we'll discuss about Maharaj Parikshit, how to prepare for death and cow protection. So the Srimad Bhagavatam is a conversation between Sukadeva Goswami and Maharaj Parikshit. With Maharaj Parikshit inquiring from Sukadev Goswami, what should a man do who is about to die? What should he hear, chant, remember, and worship? So we're getting set up for that. We're finally being introduced to our key players here, Sukadev Goswami and Maharaj Parikshit. So when we tell a story, oftentimes there's a backstory. And for that backstory, there's a backstory. So we're still kind of in the backstory of this event in which Maharaj Parikshit finds out about his um, life coming to an end and what he does. And if we think about, you know, good stories, even now, you know, most TV shows that are serial in their arc, um, movies, they all have backstories. Like one that comes to mind is Star Wars. You know, Star Wars came out when I was um, a young kid. The first trilogy was actually the middle story. Um, and then, you know, several couple decades later, they came out with the first part of the story, the first three stories, and now they're finishing it up. So we had a backstory, and then each of those stories, characters have backstories that brought them to that particular place. And we see that same thing happening here in the Srimad Bhagavatam, where we're learning more about the backstories of what's happening. Part of that backstory is that when... Um, Maharaj Parikshit was in the womb of his mother. A very powerful weapon called the Brahmastra was released by Ashvatthama during the Battle of Kurukshetra. Um, and so if we remember the Battle of Kurukshetra, is, you know, the Pandavas fighting the Kurus about who's the rightful heir to the throne. Um, and there's so much backstory to that. And we think, you know, Game of Thrones had lots of intrigue. Well, it has nothing compared to what was happening in the Mahabharata, um, the story of the Kurus and the Pandavas. But the Pandavas were successful. They, they won, they were the rightful heir and they won the throne. And 
Maharaj Parikshit is the grandson of them. And he um, was targeted to die in the womb by this powerful weapon. But Krishna protected him in the womb so that he would not die from this powerful weapon. So now we come to the point where he becomes cursed um, by a Brahmin boy. So he was hunting as Kshatriyas do. They train, they keep themselves strong, they keep their reflexes sharp. And he was really tired. He'd been touring the kingdom. And he'd come across a home and he saw and he he was going to ask for some um, drink, food, water, things like that. There was a Brahmana there who was in deep meditation and did not realize that the king, the emperor, really had arrived at his doorstep and he continued in meditation. And in anger, Maharaj Parikshit thought, well, how did this guy not respond to me? So he saw a snake and he put a snake on him. Um, I think it's a dead snake. Um, and he left. And as soon as he came home, he immediately regretted what he had done. And he was thinking, you know, in anger, um, because, you know, he was feeling thirsty and tired. And so in anger, he reacted in a harsh way by garlanding the Brahmana with a, a dead snake. And just goes to show you how strong the forces of material nature are, where a, a great devotee like Maharaj Parikshit can fall under the spell of um, bodily conception and become angry at a situation. And he was thinking that, like, man, you know, I let my anger control me when I should be controlled, when I should be controlling the anger. Well, the Brahmin boys, I mean, the Brahmin's son came and he saw this garland of dead snake around his father and he got immediately mad and offended and he cursed whoever did this to die in seven days. When the Brahmana himself woke up, he wasn't really bothered by the dead snake. He just kind of threw it aside. You know, it was like whatever for him. But when he found out what his son had done, cursing Maharaj Parikshit, he felt very bad. You know, he felt so sad, and he was like, what have you done? You know, this is not how we behave as brahmanas. Um, we have to tolerate these kind of, you know, things that happen. And he wasn't really offended at all. So that's the backstory. Um, now, often it's asked, well, if Krishna was able to save Maharaj Parikshit in the womb, why didn't he save him from this curse? And Maharaj Parikshit had, I mean, he completely had the, the strength, the um, power, you know, the, the direct line to Krishna in order to ask, you know, to be saved, to counteract this curse. But he realized that, no, I should take responsibility for my action. And that, you know, life is temporary. That we're all going to die at some point. So we might as well die with dignity. And he felt it was a great boon that he knew when his time of death was to arrive. So he um, accepted the curse. In Bhagavad Gita 8.5, Krishna says, Whoever at the time at the end of his life quits his body remembering me alone at once attains my nature. Of this there is no doubt. 
In 8.6, he continues to say, whatever state of being one remembers when he quits his body, is that state he will attain without fail. So this is what Maharaj Parikshit was meditating on. He's like, you know, my life is coming to an end, and I want to fix my mind on Krishna so that at the time of death, that is who I'm thinking about. So he sought out Sukadeva Goswami to, to tell him about the Bhagavatam. And we get this wonderful, you know, 18,000 verses from him seeking out what is the meaning of life? What do we do at the time of death? What is the most important thing? Death is life's final exam. You know, what would you do if you knew that you were going to die in a week? I mean, it's, you know, most people don't even want to think about it. It's scary to think that we're not going to be here. It's scary to think of all the things that we have to do, all the attachments that we have. What are we going to leave behind? Um, You know, one of the things that concerns me is what is the legacy that I'm going to leave behind? Uh, So these are the kinds of thoughts that we we see. And And when we watch a lot of, I watch a lot of TV and movies, and a lot of times... When people know they're about to die, it's like they go overboard in trying to please their senses. You know, they might go out and get drunk or um, go out and um, get laid. You know, so they do these kind of different things that have nothing to do with the meaning of life. They try to enjoy every last drop of the material world that they can, which is temporary. It's hard to say. It's hard to know what a person will do um, when that time comes unless, you know, we prepare for it. And that's what we're doing. We're studying for this final exam by chanting every day, by doing service, by eating prashadam, by um, prashadam is sanctified foods that's been offered to Krishna, to God, to um, reading the Bhagavatam, reading scripture, hanging out with each other, associating with devotees. These are the things that we do so that at that time of death, um, we can remember Krishna. In Bhagavad Gita 8.28, Krishna says, A person who accepts the path of devotional service is not bereft of the results derived from studying the Vedas, performing sacrifices, undergoing austerities, giving charity or pursuing philosophical and fruitive activities. Simply by performing devotional service, he attains all these. And at the end, he reaches the supreme eternal abode. So that's what we want to do is we want to be prepared for this moment when we're leaving our body, when the soul leaves the body, that we can be fixated on Krishna, that that's who we're thinking about. Here, Maharaj Parikshit, it says in the purport from today that he prepared himself for passing away by sitting down on the bank of the Ganga and hearing the transcendental activities of the Lord. So he sat for seven days. He didn't take any food or drink, nor did he sleep for a moment. Because he was listening to these wonderful stories about God, about Krishna. I was reading somewhere that this is kind of the equivalent of, you know, when we're really tired and worn out, and we're wanting to relax, we might turn on some TV. I know I do. I'm not going to say I might. I do turn on some TV and 
watch some TV, watch some stories, get entertained. And that helps me to relax and, you know, feel less fatigued. Well, here it's the same kind of thing, except it's transcendental. Maharaj Parikshit is listening to these stories about God, um, about Krishna and his different forms and his different pastimes. And that's relaxing him, that he's not even thinking about food. He's not thinking about being tired, sleeping. He just wants to hear for these last seven days that he has left on earth. And that's because Maharaj Parikshit was the pious king. He's the grandson of the Pandavas. He's the only remaining heir of the Pandavas after the Battle of Kurukshetra um, at this time. Because, you know, his grandfathers, the Pandavas, they've... Um, they ruled, and then they passed on, and um, he inherited the kingdom. So he didn't have to conquer any worlds. He already inherited the kingdom. He just had to maintain it. And that's what he did. He maintained his kingdom. Um, and under his rule, his kingdom prospered. He was a devotee because he had no attachment for worldly opulences. Even though he had a whole kingdom, he wasn't attached to it. We saw at the time of death, he was willing to give it up. He was busy in the welfare work of the public, not only for his for this life, but also for the next. So he's making sure that people had knowledge of Krishna, of God, so that they could be prepared for their next life, not just this life. He administered for everyone's happiness, not just his own, not just his family, not just his class or caste, not just his um, community, but everybody, and not just the people, but also the animals and the plants. And he made sure that all living entities were happy under his role. He wasn't selfishly interested. He guided all subjects back to the kingdom of God. And there was enough, in, you know, resources and food and water for everybody to be materially satisfied. And he was a staunch protector of cows. In Srimad Bhagavatam 1.16.4, it says, Once when Maharaj Parikshit was on his way to conquer the world, he saw the master of Kaliyug, who was lower than a shudra, disguised as a king and hurting the legs of a cow and bull. The king at once caught hold of him to deal sufficient punishment. In Kaliyug, so according to um, purport, Srimad Bhagavatam 117.1, Srila Prabhupada says that um, one of the symptoms of Kali Yuga is that lower caste men or women, shudras, dress up as kings and administrators. They have no Brahminical culture or spiritual initiation, but they pretend to be administrators and kings. And the principal business of such non-shatriya rulers will be to kill the innocent animals, especially the cows and the bulls. And we see this now, right? Um, cow slaughter, the slaughter, slaughterhouses in America, I mean, they're rampant. And the meat and dairy industry are um, killing millions and millions of cows every year. And it's very sad. And not just cows, but pigs and chickens and you know, we care a lot about cows because that's um, the cow is the mother and the bull is the father. And so we care the most about those animals, but we care about all animals, all living entities, right? The 
Vaishnav has is full of compassion for all the fallen conditioned souls, not just those souls that are in a human body, not just those souls that are in a cow's body, but all fallen conditioned souls. So in um, Srimad Bhagavatam 116.18, it goes on to elaborate, the personality of religious principles, Dharma, was wandering about in the form of a bull. So not only is the bull our father, but he's also the personified form of religion, of Dharma. He met the personality of earth in the form of a cow, who appeared to grieve like a mother who had lost her child. So the earth is not only, I mean, cow is not only the personified um, earth, she's also our mother. So she's she represents mo- mother, she represents earth. The bull represents religion and represents father. She had tears in her eyes and the beauty of her body was lost. Thus Dharma questioned the earth as follows. In 116.20, he says, I've lost my three legs and now standing on one only. Are you lamenting for my state of existence? Are you in great anxiety because henceforth the unlawful meat eaters will exploit you? So the bull represents Dharma and the legs of the bull represent the four main pillars of religion. Austerity, cleanliness, mercy or compassion, truthfulness. With the beginning of each yuga, one leg of the bull is lost. So at Satya Yuga, the bull started with all four legs, and by Kali Yuga, he's standing on one leg. And he's trying to find out um, which leg that is for Kali Yuga that's left. Uh, the best I could find, I don't have any references or anything to go by, but this is what I found. Um, and it said... Satya Yuga started with all four legs, but then austerity was lost by the end of Satya Yuga. Then cleanliness was lost, then mercy. In Kali Yuga, all that is left is truthfulness. I don't know for sure if that's accurate, but that is most that I found. If anybody knows, you can contact me and let me know what's the right, if that is right, or what is the right leg of the bull that's left for Kali Yuga. So, we see that um, Prabhupada explains in, in the purport of 117.2 that one of the symptoms of Kali Yuga is that the principles of religion will be attacked by uncultured sudra population of the age. So this is what we're seeing happening here. Maharaj Parikshit comes across a sudra who's dressed like a king, who's beating a cow and a bull, and the bull, bull is standing on one leg. So you know, religion is being attacked by fake kshatriyas, basically. And then the bull, when he approaches the cow, he's asking her, you know, why are you sad? Is it because the cow is being exploited? Is it because the earth is being exploited? And that's one of the symptoms, another symptom of Kali Yuga is the distressed condition of the cow. In the purport of 117.3, Prabhupada says, In Kali Yuga, the calves are separated from the cows as early as possible. The cow stands with tears in her eyes. The Shudra milkman draws milk from the cow artificially. 
And when there is no milk, the cow is sent to be slaughtered. These greatly sinful acts are responsible for all the troubles in present society. Foolish people do not know how one earns happiness by making the cows and bulls happy. So in order to be happy, to have peace and prosperity, we have to protect the cows. Srila Prabhupada says here that not protecting the cows is responsible for all the troubles in present society. That's pretty intense to think this one act of not protecting the cows and bulls is the reason we have all of the suffering and distress and war and famine and, you know, all these horrible things happening because we're not taking care of the cows. And what's interesting is Srila Prabhupada wrote this purport before he came to America, where in India in the 60s, the cows were still honored. They were still um, treated well. And he's talking about this. And this is the condition of cows today. So one of the things that we know, commercial dairy industry, is that in order for a cow to give milk, she has to get pregnant. It seems kind of intuitive, but a lot of people don't realize that, that in order for the cow to give milk, she has to be pregnant and then she can nurse. Cows are stolen from their mother immediately upon birth. This is what Prabhupada says in his purport, and we see this is happening in the commercial dairy industry. So this stealing of the calves from the cow is very traumatic from for the cow. You know, she's gone through um, giving birth, which, you know, is, it's not a pleasant experience. It can be painful for the woman. But at the end of it, they get to bond with their child. In this case, the calf is immediately torn away from the cow. The mother, it said the mother cow cries for days, yelling and screaming for her calf, for her baby. She paces for hours on end looking, you know. She, they, there's stories that sometimes she'll break the bullpen and go out searching for her cow. There was a story I read one time about um, near a dairy farm. Somebody had complained that there was a lady crying. And when they came, when the police came, they found that it was just the cow that was crying for days, and it sounded just like a human crying. So we know that they feel, they have emotions. They're very soft-hearted. They're very loving and nurturing, and they don't get to have that with their cows. They're impregnated year after year, artificially impregnated. And in the dairy industry, they call this contraption to artificially impregnate the cow the rape rack. And that's exactly what's happening to the mother cow. She's being raped year after year so that she can get pregnant, give birth, and then have that cow, her baby, torn from her year after year. This puts so much stress on her body and her mental state that after five years, she's done. A cow's normal life is 20 to 25 years. When they make sure that she gets pregnant year after, as, as soon as she is able to get pregnant, they impregnate her. And year after year, she gets impregnated so she can keep producing milk. And after that, they tear the baby away. So this produces so much stress that she only lives for five years. 
And when she's no longer able to produce milk, they sell the cow to the beef industry. So it said, um, see, 25% of fast food burgers are dairy cows. 15% of the profit of dairy farmers comes from selling cows to be slaughtered um, after they no longer produce milk. That's a lot of money that's going towards killing of cows so that we can have milk. If when a calf is born, if it's a female calf, it's going, it's destined to a life such that the mother cow has lived. If it's a male cow, it's immediately sold for slaughter as veal. So the entire veal industry is because of milk. If we didn't have milk, we wouldn't have veal. So in addition to this, the cow's horns are burned or sawed off, and it's very painful for the cow. They do this so that they can't fight. They don't have defenses. They're not going to be dangerous to milk. Their tails are cut off because sometimes the tail can swing and hit them. So when they milk the cow, it can hurt. Um, so they cut off the tail. They don't use any anesthesia. It cuts through sensitive skin, nerves, and bones. And this is done when they're still babies, when they're still calves. Artificial milking equipment is used to milk the cows. It's very painful. It's a very painful process. It can create infections. One in six cows in the dairy industry have uh, what's called mastitis, which is infection of the nipples or the udders. And they're treated with antibiotics, which ends up in the milk. Because of these infections, pus ends up in the milk, blood ends up in the milk. Cows are given hormones to produce more milk. They're given hormones to grow faster. They're given hormones to produce more milk. And all of these hormones end up in the milk. So when we buy and consume commercial dairy, we're propagating this. In America, we're ruled by capitalism. Money is king. Money rules. So in order to make a difference, we have to boycott commercial dairy. You know, I've noticed the vegan community is growing. um, And because of that, there are less people taking dairy. And it's impacting the dairy industry to the point that they're fighting back. And they're saying things like, well, almond milk isn't milk, so you can't call it milk. And, you know, so they, they're really getting, trying to fight back in any way that they can because, um, the vegan, uh, veganism movement that has grown is really affecting the sales. And we also see that they try to jump on board that a lot of these dairy, um, farming industries that end up selling milk also are now trying to sell plant-based milk so that they can get in on that, um, profit there. So we can see that just by not doing it, we can make a difference. <clears throat> Prabhupada said in a lecture, what is this justice that after taking milk from the animal, we kill it? Is that very good justice? It is very, very sinful, and we have to suffer for that. This is called collective karma. We may not be... Um, 
participating in this commercial dairy, you know, we I've often heard the argument that we offer the milk to Krishna and therefore the suffering gets alleviated, but it's still happening. And so we have to have we have to we have to take responsibility for that collective karma. By not taking action, we are supporting this exploitation and torture of the cows. By buying commercial dairy, we're supporting it. So in order to protect cows, we have to not hurt cows. Commercial dairy hurts cows, so it's not cow protection. And cow protection is the basis of human civilization. In the purport of um, Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, um, Chapter 3, Text 28, it says, The perfection of human life is attained by following three principles of civilization, protecting the cows, maintaining Brahminical culture, and above all, becoming a pure devotee of the Lord. Cow protection is not is, is very necessary for spiritual life. In the light of the Bhagavata, it says, The killing of cows by human society is one of the grossest suicidal policies. And those who are anxious to cultivate the human spirit must turn their attention first toward the question of cow protection. So we want to protect the cows so that we can have verminical culture, which is truthfulness, cleanliness, controlling the senses, which includes the tongue, controlling the mind, simplicity and tolerance, full of knowledge, practical application in life, faith in God. So we want to um, cultivate this Brahminical culture, and that includes cow protection. It's a major part of Brahminical culture. And Prabhupada has said it's not just for us as devotees that we want to protect the cows. It's for the welfare of the whole world. He says in a lecture Um, In 1973, if you actually want to do some welfare activity for the benefit of the whole world, then these two things must be taken care of. Cows and brahmanas, they should be given first protection. Then there will be actual welfare of the whole world. So for the benefit of the whole world, we have to give up commercial dairy. You've heard we have to bring people up to the mode of goodness in order for us to be able to um, get into the mode of transcendental um, qualities to the, to think of Krishna. So to get to elevate people to the mode of goodness, we want them to at least start thinking about cow protection. And if we are the representatives of Krishna, and Krishna's main job when he was here on Earth, he was a cowherd boy. His whole life was cow protection. So in order to honor Krishna's orders, Prabhupada's orders, we have to protect the cows. And when we and in order to do that we have to boycott commercial dairy. We can hang on to this principle that milk is very important and it is. So we have to figure out a way to protect the cows and um, get what's called pure ahimsa, true ahimsa milk. 
So until we get there, we have to, cons- I would say, you know, you want to either consume a minimal amount of the best dairy that's available to you. And don't buy commercial dairy products like ice cream, sour cream, cheese, butter. These things are not really necessary, especially commercial. Or you can, you know, we can continue to work on figuring out a way to protect the cows and decide that um, we don't want to consume any commercial dairy, even the best available, until we have 100% protected cows and um, give up all dairy products right away. So that's all I have. What questions do you have for me? Okay. We'll pause for a moment for us to get the microphone so everyone can hear the questions. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Yes, thank you for your class. I especially appreciate the uh, in-depth research you've done into uh, um, exposing the uh, horrific um, injustice in the, uh, in the dairy industry um, to Mother Cow. Um, I just had a question. Uh, um, also, I... I Appreciated your point about how Maharaj Prikshit, he he was able to simply hear about Krishna before his death without eating or sleeping. Um, I was hoping maybe you could comment a little bit about how did he, how do you get to that point where you're just so absorbed in wanting to hear about Krishna like that? It seems. That's a good question. How do we get to that point that we're so absorbed in Krishna that we don't care about eating or sleeping? And I think that's what we're practicing. Right? That's why we read the Srimad Bhagavatam. That's why we chant. Thank you. Um, that's why we associate, we hear stories about Krishna so that these things can start playing in our head and we can want them. The closest that I can tell you that I've come to that point of, you know, sleep, eat, foregoing it is when we have these major kirtan festivals. Like coming up, we have Kirtan 50, um, which if you haven't bought your tickets for that already, you should definitely buy that because it's, it's so much fun. But we have hours of kirtan and... You know, many times during that festival, I have to be up early in the morning to dress the deities, and yet I'm still here at midnight, one o'clock, and I have to be up in a couple of hours. Um, and I don't want to leave because the holy name, the the kirtans are so enlivening that I'm not thinking about, oh, I'm sleepy or I'm tired. Um, sometimes it does get a little crowded, and, and you think, oh, it's it's crowded, but even then, it's bearable because you're just so um, immersed in the holy name and the melodies and the tunes that are going on, and you know it just it fills you up. That you, I don't notice that I've been sitting on the floor for you know hours on end until I try getting up. Um, 
you know, or a few days after where, you know, my whole body's aching from sitting on the floor for so many days. Uh, but during that time, it's like it doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't matter. That's the closest that I've come to kind of experiencing that. But there is a point where I'm just like, okay, I'm done. I need to go home and, and stretch out and relax and, you know, um, so I'm not there yet myself, but I think these are the activities that we do to get there. I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay. Are there any other questions? It's in Mayapur last summer. Janani Vas Prabhu told me that this vegan philosophy of non-dairy prashadam is demoniac. And I thought, because he says it's, it's not cow protection, it's cow neglection. And I thought that was kind of strong, but Janani Vas is a very reserved person. He doesn't go around criticizing things unless he feels real strong about it. And like he said, I I can certainly understand the cruelty that cows are going through. And Prabhupada loved cows so much he was on a first-name basis with the cows in Uvrindava. Am I right? But he never told us to do it, to stop using dairy in Christian service, to quit buying dairy and cook food with, you know, soy milk and other soy, soy supplements, almonds and things like that. Prabhupada said that milk is compared to nectar, which one can drink to become immortal. Of course, simply drinking milk would not make one's immortal, but it can increase the duration of one's life. In modern civilization, men do not think milk to be important, and therefore they do not live very long. Those who say there's something wrong with milk are demoniac. Although in this age men can live up to 100 years, the duration of life is reduced because they do not drink large quantities of milk. Instead of drinking milk, people prefer to slaughter an animal and eat its flesh. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, in his instructions, the Bhagavad Gita advises goraksha, which means cow protection. The cow should be protected. Milk should be drawn from the cows, and this milk should be prepared in various ways. One should take ample milk, and thus one can prolong one's life, develop his brain, execute devotional service, and ultimately attain the favor of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In the approach of boycotting milk since Prabhupada said like you mentioned if there's no milk there's no the cows are sent immediately to slaughterhouses it seems when I've read about vegan is that they've they managed to threaten the dairy industry and the dairy industries responded by simply if we hit but there's no market for milk we simply send the cows to the slaughterhouse and there seems to be plenty of meat eaters to keep that going that's happening anyway. So After I'm, five years, instead of 20 years of the life of a cow, a cow only lives for five years, and they're sent for slaughter. So commercial dairy is not what we're, Prabhupada's talking about. Prabhupada's talking about protect cow, for milk from protected cows. Commercial dairy, I would argue, is not even milk. It's white liquid substance that contains pus, blood, antibiotics, hormones. It's supplemented with fish oil. 
It's supplemented with sugar. It's supplemented with so many things in order to get, to stretch out that white substance. As a matter of fact, because it's not really milk and it's consumed in such high amounts, um, there's a lot of studies that show that consumption of dairy increases the risk of heart disease, um, cancer, diabetes. It increases the risk of bone fracture, overall mortality. Adults who consume the most dairy are at the highest risk for early death. So if we know what Prabhupada says is true about milk being necessary for prolonging life, and here we're seeing it's not prolonging life, then we know that this white liquid substance is not milk. It is some imitation copy of milk that's actually having ill effects on our health, on society, on earth. So we, Prabhupada's instruction was to set up farms and have our own cows and have milk from those cows feeding our temples and the grains from those farms feeding our temples. Where are those farms? That was Prabhupada's point, was that we have to protect the cows. He also said... that regarding purchasing things in the market, these items are considered as purified when we pay the price for them. That is the general instruction. But when we know something is adulterated, we should avoid it. If unknowingly something is purchased, that is not our fault. Things which are suspicious, however, should be avoided. And this is a letter to Krishnadas in um, 1969. So he's saying that we know that milk from the supermarket, from commercial dairy, is adulterated. We should avoid it. And that by taking the milk, we become indebted. So the repayment of that debt debt is death of the cow after five years. So we're not protecting the cows. Veganism, they have part of it right, but they don't have the rabbinical culture. They don't have the faith in God. And those are the three things we talked about. Cow protection, rabbinical culture, and faith in God. And those are the the, um, things for a good civilization. So it's not just for our own welfare. We can't just say that, you know, we're offering it and it's um, alleviating the pain and suffering that the cows are going through because the world is still suffering as a result of the cows not being protected. So we have to speak up and do more to protect the cows. We are the representative of the cows. Krishna's whole mood was cow protection. These are Krishna's cows that we're allowing to be raped, tortured, exploited, killed because we want milk or, you know, some substance that resembles milk. When Srila Prabhupada was told about the 
fish oil in the milk. And he asked, should we not use this milk because, you know, vitamin D comes from minute quantities of fish oil. And then Prophet said, well, in Kali Yuga, everything's contaminated. We just have to do the best of what we can. We have so to do the best that we can. And compromise between uh, I, I don't think that dairy diet and uh, being able to protect cows. I think it's just more doing the best that we can. And I, I don't think that ingesting or buying commercial dairy is doing the best that we can. We are the spokespeople for the cows. We have to be. We're representatives of Krishna. If people look at us and they say, you're supposed to protect the cows, and yet you're supporting this industry by buying milk from the commercial dairy, how are we protecting cows? What other questions do you have? Okay. Okay. Rantra Srimad Bhagavatam ki 